week, speaking of coffee, did you grab a cup of coffee on your way in this morning? I'm wondering why you did that. I'm curious. Uh, what was it that moved you to grab a cup of coffee this morning? Was it the smell? Like you had no intention of getting coffee, but then it, was, it, um, was it habit? Like maybe it was the routine that you're in and you did, that's just what you do. That's how you start most things. You just start with coffee. Maybe it was, um, yes, amen from the top. Um, maybe it was uh, the power of suggestion. Maybe you didn't even know there was coffee and someone said, would you like coffee? And you said, well, yes, I, I actually I would. <clears throat> I'm wondering this, did you make any unusual purchase this week? Not your typical eggs and milk purchase, but like a, an unusual purchase. Did you buy anything that you didn't typically, you wouldn't typically buy? Okay, got that? Why'd you do that? What influenced that decision to make that unusual purchase? Um, did you see an especially persuasive ad? Did your neighbor buy one? Um, did uh, your friend buy one and has been saying, this is just amazing, you got to get one of these? I'm wondering, maybe, um, maybe you reached a milestone. Maybe you just graduated from high school or college. Maybe you retired, and this was a way to treat yourself, and you got this new thing. Or maybe somebody reached a milestone and, or a birthday, and so you got something for them as a gift. What was it? What, what influenced you to do the simple thing, to grab a cup of coffee? What influenced you to do the unusual thing, to, to buy something that you typically don't? And maybe we could think about other behaviors, like calling a friend or a family member, or choosing not to again. Like, why did you, what, what, is, what moved you to pick up the phone this week to make that phone call? Or what was it that was running through your mind that made you, no, I'm just going to put it off, I'm just going to put it off another day Can you think of anything that you said yes to this week that was remarkable? I mean, we make a million decisions, right? There's just so many things. It's such a busy season for us. What did you, say, what did you choose to say yes to? What did you choose to say no to? And can you identify any of the reasons why? I wonder, what influenced your thoughts? What influenced your decisions what influenced your actions? I want to invite you to write some things down. Hopefully you have a notes page or pull out your phone and use the notes uh, app there on your phone. Let's try to engage our imaginations, our memories, our minds. I think this could be really helpful today. Uh, I want to invite you to write a couple things down. I think it would be so interesting to try to identify two or three things that are influencing your life right now in this season, like as practically as possible? Can you identify what is influencing your life right now? Things like this. Um, we're getting ready for a vacation. So everything in our life is condensed under this limited time because the, the, the flight leaves, right? So that's influencing. Two of my, my two older kids are leaving for college-related summer experiences tomorrow. So that's influencing everything today. Um, I have a book coming out in September. That's a big deal for me, and so that's, in, that's kind of a running in the background all the time. That's influencing me. Welcome, welcome. Welcome to church. Good to see all you guys. It's all right. 
It's all right. It's 9.15. It's when it starts, right? No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> um, so happy to see you here. This is a welcoming place. It's a graceful place. What's influencing your life right now? Can you write down a couple things? Write down a couple things. What is influencing your life now? Here's a more interesting question. Who is influencing your life right now? Try to write down one name. Who's got your ear? Whose approval do you desire? Who is speaking to you in a way that you feel like, I want to hear what they say? Whose presence is important to you? Who is influencing you? Write down a couple what is influencing me. Just the real practical stuff. Write down one person, one name. Who is influencing you? And what would be even more interesting than that, in my opinion, is this question. Who are you influencing? Who is in your circle of influence? Who is in your home? Who do you work with? Who do you share life with? Who will you see today? Who are you influencing? Whose thoughts are you shaping? Whose decisions and whose behaviors are in some way, whether good or bad, a response to your words and actions? Because you're an influence in their life. Who are you influencing? Write down a couple names. This will be most helpful if you have real names. Today's sermon is about influence. I've titled the sermon, Make It Better. This is part five of our Pentecost series called Love and Power. We're asking the question, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The record of the early Christian church mentions over and over and over again that the followers of Jesus were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then the book of Acts goes on to describe what it looks like when these followers of Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, the ways these normal, regular people like you and me influence the places they go and the people that they see. And I want to look at the short passage in Acts chapter 8 that communicates a very simple message about the kind of influence Jesus' followers have once they are filled with the Holy Spirit on their surroundings and on those who are uh, exposed to them, those who are sharing life with them. Once these followers of Christ are filled with the Spirit, what kind of influence um, do they have? The message today, friends, is for all of us. It is for all of us who are Christian or who are considering Christianity. And, And this message is for, in addition, it's for fathers today. And so if you take those two kind of lenses that I carried with me this week, you might say that this this message is especially for Christian fathers. But don't forget it's for everyone first, right? It's for all of us. Um, I just think it has a special potential um, impact for, for those of us who are in the journey of being a dad. Here's the message in a sentence. Here's the main thing I want you to see in this passage that we're about to read. The places Christians go change. For the better. This is what we see in this passage, and frankly, this is what we see all through Acts. The places Christians go change for the better. Today's sermon is called Make It Better. Acts chapter 8, 
Turn to Acts chapter 8 with me. Let me tell you quickly what happened in Acts chapter 7 because we didn't go over that in a, in a sermon. Acts chapter 7 is the story of, um, about a leader of the Christian movement. His name is Stephen, and he's murdered by, by uh, Jewish zealots. Why is that a big deal? Uh, in addition to the fact that he was killed, it's because it was the first time a follower of Jesus is recorded as having been killed for believing in Jesus and for preaching the gospel of Jesus. Stephen is often referred to as the first Christian martyr. And after Stephen is killed, friends, this Christian movement, this Christian community, which had been growing exponentially, which had been adding to its number hundreds, even thousands of people a week, and had been gathering in one assembly until this time, it disperses. The church scatters as soon as Stephen is killed. And we pick up the story in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. <clears throat> Here's what Luke writes. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip, now he introduces us to a guy named Philip. We've actually heard his name once before. Philip is a colleague of Stephen's. These are two of the seven, I think, men who were appointed to be deacons of the church. So when the church community was growing and the needs to feed the needy were significant, the church um, selected seven people to, to help with the distribution of food, specifically to the widows. And the criteria to be considered as a deacon were these two things. Choose men, the, the apostles said, who are full of the Spirit and wisdom. Full of the Spirit and wisdom. One of them is Stephen. He was just killed in Acts chapter 7. Here's another one, Philip. After Stephen's killed, Philip goes down to Samaria, and this is what it says. Philip, uh, verse 5 Philip went down into a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So there's this terrible thing that happens. <clears throat> and causes the first Christian community to stop meeting together and to scatter all over the region and beyond that, even into other countries, which, by the way, Jesus said would happen. When he was still physically with his disciples, he tells them that they will be his witnesses. And if you read it in the original language, the word there is, you will be my martyrs, which is intense. You will be my martyrs, my witnesses, my full-bodied, holistic, give-it-all kind of witnesses in Jerusalem, that's the main city, in Judea, which is the surrounding region, in Samaria, which is where Philip's heading, <clears throat> and even into the ends of the earth. So this terrible thing happens to Stephen in Jerusalem, and as a result of being persecuted, as a result of violent persecution, Christians scatter everywhere. <clears throat> and now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? In, in, in this sense, it's good. Wherever they go, they're preaching the word. And wherever they preach the word, things change for the better. Specifically for those in need. So here's an example. Philip goes to a city in Samaria. He proclaims the love of Jesus. He demonstrates the power of Jesus. Proclaims the love, demonstrates the power through healings of the oppressed and the crippled. And then Luke writes, so there was great joy in that city. The places Christians go change for the better. 
this is the model, this is the standard, this is the expectation, this is the challenge and the invitation for us. The early Christian church, when it gets dispersed, even because of violence, wherever the early Christians go, it changes there, and it changes for the better. This message is for all of us. This message is especially for, for, for Christian dads today. In other words, even though the Christians are all spread out, and even though there are, they, these have been hard times for Christians, and even though they're in places that are new to them, and they're in places that are hard for them, there is significant racial prejudice against Philip in Samaria, which is where he's ministering right now. They are influencing the people in these places. And as a result of their influence, there is great joy in the people in those places. That's the, that's the upshot. That's the consequence. That's the result of the gospel being preached. Ultimately, great joy. Now, if we had time, we could read the rest of chapter 8, which is the theme, which, which lifts the theme of Philip's influence even increasingly in clarity, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. He is changing things. In fact, friends, he's wielding such remarkable power, and his influence is so significant that there are others there who want what he's got. <clears throat> they want the power to influence. His influence is desired. In fact, there's a famous sorcerer in the city named Simon who is believed by the locals and beyond to be God like the God. In fact, there's an ancient Christian um, leader named Justin Martyr. His letters have been preserved. And in one of his letters, he says there's a statue that was erected during Simon's life with the inscription, Simoni Dio Sancto, to Simon the one true God. Okay, so Simon is this famous, legendary um, sorcerer. He's famous for his magic, his powers. They're making statues of him like they did to Michael Jordan in Chicago while he's still alive, right? He's a big deal. People believe he's God, but Simon is so taken with Philip's influence that he offers to pay for the Holy Spirit, okay? He offers to buy the Holy Spirit and, of course, is just soundly chastised by the apostles. Now, I used to read that story, and I thought, man, how weird. This dude's going to pay. He's trying to pay for the Holy Spirit. This is just a bizarre story. But recently, I read this, and this is what happens sometimes. The, because the Word is alive, because the Spirit uses the Word to bring revelation, sometimes you read something, and you see some new dynamic in it. Recently, I read this story again. It struck me different. Suddenly, this made a lot of sense to me, because what, the, what Philip and the early Christians had was influence. They had influence. Wherever they went, changed for the better. Sick people received healing. Discouraged people were filled with hope. Oppressed people were liberated. The work of the Christians was not a circus act. It wasn't the result of some weird dark magic. It was deep, profound, life-changing power. What kind of power? Power that filled a city with joy. That's the kind of power. So, of course, people back then wanted that kind of influence. It's the same kind of influence people want today. We've always wanted influence. So what I began to notice last year, when so much of our life happened online, was that this desire for influence seemed to step fully out of the closet and just become, no one's even trying to hide this anymore. I started to hear young people describing what they wanted to do in life by saying, I want to be an influencer. <laughs> Have you heard that? 
I, I started, um, like, what do you aspire to be? I aspire to be an influencer. I started noticing how introductions included this word influencer. Well, she's an author and a leader of this organization and an influencer in this space, right? That's how people would introduce others. Have you heard of so-and-so? No, I've never heard of her. Who is she? She's a social media influencer. Have you heard of him? No, I haven't. Who is he? He's a political policy influencer. Seems everybody wants to be an influencer. I'm not sure there's ever been a time in my life when people have been more out front and unapologetic with their desire to have an audience, to gain followers, to attract attention, and to be an influencer. And I get it. To a, to a large degree, I get it, because there's a lot of talk right now about the need for change, and change is something that comes when somebody's, like, influencing that change, right? The only opinions that seem to get a lot of traction in our culture are the really, really strong and extreme ones. So those people get sort of lifted up as the, as the dominant influencers. People want to make a difference. People want to move the needle and have influence. <clears throat> Here's the problem with wanting influence. Here's the problem with wanting influence. It's the, it's the error that Simon the sorcerer falls into. If you want influence for the sake of of having influence, almost any means of gaining influence will do. Right. There are a lot of ways to gain influence. Some of them are not good. In fact, many of them are, are pretty manipulative and, and, and fraught with problems. This is important to believe, I think. Everyone is influenced, and everyone has influence. Everyone has influence. In some space, with some people, in some area, you all have influence. A clear practical example is parents. Parents, you have influence. There are, there are a few people in this world, if you're a parent, for whom you are the only one. You are the only dad. You are the only mom. Um, and, and there's no ability to overstate the power of the influence uh, of, of some people, specifically parents as an example. But the point is that all of us have influence. The question is about the nature of your influence. That's the question. What tools do you use to try to move the dial? How, how do you choose to influence someone or something? Um, how do you try to make change happen is a, is a real straight way to say that. How do you try to make change happen? Um, there are various ways that people can try to influence those around them. Let me quickly point out three common ways today. These are three ways to make change happen. These are common today, but I'm choosing these three because I also see them in Acts. And the reason it's important that we can root them in the Bible also is because we can follow and we can see what results because of these specific methods of, of influence. You can see where, they, where this, kind of, the, this kind of effort leads. One method of influence is the ability to force Right, to force something to happen, to force someone to do something, to force something to happen through some kind of power or threat or fear or pain. An example from the Bible of trying to influence um, through force is the Sanhedrin, which is this ruling religious body in the, in the Jewish faith. These are men who were empowered to do almost anything in the name of God. The Sanhedrin influenced Judas to betray Jesus. The Sanhedrin influenced the Roman government to crucify Jesus. And the Sanhedrin continued to try to get in the heads of the followers of Jesus and to, to intimidate them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus through these bogus arrests, these unwarranted uh, arrests and threats of, of pain and other things. Influence through force is the least human 
method of influence. It is the most brutal method of influence. It may be effective on one level, but it also does great harm. Force does great harm. Something that my dad used to tell me when I was a kid working with him, I hear myself saying to my kids when I work with them, don't force it. Don't force that door closed, right? Don't force that bolt into that hole. No, I can do it. I can just smack it in with a hammer, right? Well, it'll work once, maybe, but it'll also cause great destruction in the process. Influence through force is what institutions resort to when they have run out of relational equity. All they have left is force. The state influences primarily through force. As an example. Of course, there's a ton of exceptions to that. So one kind of influence is the ability to force something. And in certain areas of your life and in certain areas of my life, we have that ability. We could force something to happen. But it's almost never a good method of influence. Here's a second way to influence. It's to buy something. You can buy something. Money is power. That's the common phrase because it's true. There is a degree of truth to that. Simon the sorcerer believed it was true. There's the example that we see in Acts of somebody trying to buy influence. It's like remarkably plain and almost startlingly um, blunt. So many people believed Simon was a god. They were building statues to him while he was still alive. But when Simon sees Philip and the influence of the early Christians, he wants it, so he tries to buy it. Because that's a way that things work. If the ability to force could be characterized as institutional power, the ability to buy might be labeled like market power. And it's not inherently good or bad. It just depends on how you're using it. For example, if I'm trying to gain my kid's loyalty or respect by buying them something, if I'm trying to gain my wife's affection or trust by buying her something, if that's my reason, then clearly I'm compensating for a failure in relational effectiveness. I'm trying to use money to accommodate. Clearly, I'm resorting to a method of influence that is totally healthy and legitimate if I'm buying carrots, but totally unhealthy and manipulative if I'm trying to buy respect, right? You can buy almost anything. Political positions can be bought. New York Times bestseller status can be bought. Physical comfort can be bought. Almost anything can be bought, but not everything. Not everything. There's an end. There's a limit to this method of influence. There is a level of influence, though, that cannot be forced and cannot be bought. It's the ability to lead, friends. It's the ability to lead. And I mean truly lead. The person who is genuine, authentic, doesn't just say what they value, but demonstrates what they value. The person who is clear and points the way and walks first and is sacrificial and possesses this um, care, demonstrates this ownership, that's profound influence. It's leadership. It's profound influence. That is influence that no amount of money can buy and force can only dream about. 
you see people following people because of the power of the, the, the influence of leadership into situations that nobody could be forced into. You see this wholehearted devotion as a response to true leadership. The apostles are the biblical example of this kind of influence. Theirs is the influence of leadership. How do you know there's a leader? Because there's a bunch of people following them, right? There's a bunch of people who are modeling their lives after them. There are people who say, when I grow up, I want to be like. Some attempt to influence through institutional power. I have the position. I have the control. Some attempt to influence through market power. I have the money. I can buy it. But the most profound influence is spiritual power. And it's a power that cannot be forced, and it's a power that cannot be bought. There's no counterfeit to this. There's no shortcut to this. It is the love of God and the power of God in us that enables us to lead. It's leadership. It's spiritual influence. It doesn't all fit on a ledger or an Excel sheet. This is the kind of influence Christ had. This is the kind of influence the early followers of Christ had when they were filled with the Spirit. This is the kind of influence Christians today are invited to pray for and nurture and demonstrate. This kind of influence. This is the kind of influence Christian fathers are invited to pray for and nurture and demonstrate. The passage we read a few minutes ago ends like this. So there was great joy in that city. Hard things had happened. More hard things were still to come. But wherever the Christians went, they influenced the places and the people there for the better. They didn't use force. They didn't use money. They led. They led. Genuine, authentic, loving leadership. They showed the way. They modeled the life. That's how they did it. And so there was great joy in that city. Let me just end with this. <clears throat> One of the most powerful questions I've been asked this year is this. What is life like for those in your kingdom? What is life like for those in your kingdom? It's a memorable and provocative way of saying, you have influence in a certain space. You have a circle of influence. There are people who are shaped by you, your home, your circle of friends, your community. You're not the only factor, but you're a significant factor in setting the tone, in establishing the expectations, in building the culture, in, in, in establishing the way life goes for those around you, that's your kingdom for the sake of this question. And I think it's a powerful question because it at once acknowledges two things. One, that I have influence. And secondly, it invites me to consider my influence from the perspective of others. Typically, when you ask me what kind of influence do you have, I'm thinking about me. This question has made me think about others. What is life like for those in your kingdom? And as I've considered that question for several months now, I've noticed some good trends and I've noticed some not-so-good trends about what life is like for those in my kingdom. And so this has been my challenge. 
Make it better. Okay? Make it better. Lead by example. Demonstrate and serve. Show the way. Love more powerfully. Wherever I go, I want to make it better. Wherever Christians went, changed for the better. Philip went to a city in Samaria. They don't like Philip. And there was great joy in that city. May God continue to fill us with his Holy Spirit. May he enable us to make a powerful, loving impact wherever we go. May our method of influence be authentic leadership. May we speak the truth and may we demonstrate the truth in love. And may the result of our influence be joy. May we make it better. Amen? Amen.